The following content is strictly designed for the enjoyment of a mature adult audience. Headphones are recommended as these stories are recorded in left-to-right dimensional stereo. Hello, erotica connoisseurs. Make sure you listen to this episode in full so you don't miss any of this. The man looked at her with wide eyes, shocked at her appearance. Allison, her husband asked. You read it because you want to be horrified. You want to be scared. You want to feel something. Briefly slowing down, I reveled in the frustrated scream that escaped her lips. Then I resumed with an even greater fervour, my fingers thrusting with a speed limited only by the strength of my arm. I'm Angelica, and you're listening to All the Filthy Details, the Erotica Communities podcast. Today's episode is being released during Halloween, and most of the books featured have a nod to the erotic occult. We have a free audiobook non-sign-up giveaway and reviews of dark erotic books by Molly Meadows, Dakota Voss, and Jay Alry. We have an interview with our latest star recommendation winner, the author behind the pen name Audrey Horn, and erotica author and podcaster Tori Ross, courtesy of Christian Pan. Let's start the show with a partial chapter from Derek Andres' Enchantress. Enjoy responsibly. This is a partial story for all the filthy details. Head on over to the Patreon for the full audio. Links are in the description. Dawn Hargreaves asks, As a non-eclectic witch, I've always wondered if there is any value in connecting with other witches, especially if they have different methods for practicing witchcraft. What has been your experience? Okay, I understand your perspective, but there is often value in having a broad support base with extensive experience and knowledge to rely on. A good example of this is the situation that led me to the Middle East and the challenges I was able to address there, thanks to a number of diverse minds. I had always believed in the power of unity among witches, regardless of where we hailed from. So, when I stumbled upon Namina's story online, I felt an immediate connection. Her tale was both heart-wrenching and inspiring, a witch who had opened her coven's doors to those fleeing war-torn Syria in Lebanon. Namina's mission to provide refuge and solace resonated with my own beliefs in women's rights and solidarity. Yet shadows loomed over this sanctuary, a sinister figure known as Judgment, the witch-killer, emerged, fuelled by a self-righteous hatred for all occultism. This malevolent vigilante tore through Nemina's world, leaving the lifeless form of her friend and fellow witch, Yolanda, in his wake. Yolanda, a popular influencer, had cast spells not just in whispered incantations, but through the glow of screens. Her witchcraft videos weaved a tapestry of enchantment across the world of social media. Yolanda's life had been a beacon, and in her death a void echoed. Namina grieved a storm, casting her pain into the digital winds with a plea for aid. The call didn't land upon deaf ears. I heard the cries and understood the urgency. With a mixture of empathy and outrage, I shared her story, conjuring a symphony of voices from around the world. Together, we were more than isolated whispers. Our collective power flowed not just in spells, but in the currency of compassion. 
The online appeal blossomed into a movement, a manifestation of solidarity. In a gesture that transcended screens and borders, I sent a substantial sum to bolster Namina's cause. But the aid wasn't just monetary, it was a lifeline of hope, woven by many hands. Awareness unfurled like wings fanning the flames of change. The tale of Nemina and Yolanda reached corners untouched by magic before. The coven's strength grew not only from the funds raised, but from the realisation that they were not alone in this battle. Sister covens extended hands of protection, allies voiced their outrage, and witches worldwide from all beliefs united to say, no more. A year had flown by since our digital introduction sparked our lasting friendship. Nemina was desperate to meet me in person, and her invitation to Lebanon echoed in my thoughts. I wanted to surprise her, so one day I found myself travelling to Lebanon before she'd realised I was coming. As the sun dipped below the horizon, casting a warm glow across the hotel's courtyard, I found myself seated alone at a small table, with a book in hand and the soothing hum of conversations around me. The hotel was a sanctuary, a place I had chosen to escape the demands of everyday life. Little did I know that this tranquil haven would lead me to a soul whose struggles were as hidden as the stars during the day. Her name was Sarah. She was part of the hotel staff, moving gracefully among the tables, attending to guests' needs with professionalism. Her smile was warm, but there was a fleeting sadness in her eyes that caught my attention. I had been discreetly observing her, sensing a story waiting to be shared. As the evening progressed, our paths intertwined. A few casual interactions turned into genuine conversations. Sarah's laughter had a melody, but it was her moments of quiet reflection that spoke volumes. One night, as she cleared my table, I decided to initiate a conversation that would go beyond pleasantries. It must be quite an experience working here, I ventured, speaking softly and invitingly. She sighed, her gaze distant. It has its moments, but sometimes it's hard to ignore certain feelings. I knew there was more behind her words than met the eye. Encouraged by the vulnerability in her tone, I leaned forward slightly. Feelings? She hesitated, her fingers tracing patterns on the tabletop. It's silly, really. I can't help feeling... envious. Envious, I echoed, my curiosity piqued. Her gaze flickered toward the couples scattered around the courtyard. You see, I watch these loving couples come and go. They hold hands, share glances, and I can't help but wonder what it's like to have someone who looks at you like that. A deep understanding washed over me, and I leaned in closer, speaking gently. Sarah, you deserve to experience love like that, too. Her shoulders slumped as if carrying a weight she'd kept hidden for far too long. It's just that I've never been in a relationship. And seeing others so happy, it's a reminder of what I don't have. I offered a sympathetic smile. I think we all have our moments of longing, of wishing for something we don't yet have. But remember, everyone's journey is different. She sighed her fingers playing with the edge of her apron. I know, it's just hard sometimes. Sarah, I said softly, what if you started by being kinder to yourself? Embrace your own journey, appreciate the moments that make you happy, and trust that love will find its way to you when the time is right. Her eyes welled up with tears and she nodded, You're listening to all the filthy details. Seen. <laughs> when I decided to pay Namina an unexpected visit, little did I know how dramatically it would unfold. As I stood at her doorstep, my heart raced with anticipation, knowing that she had no clue I was about to surprise her. 
The moment she opened the door, her eyes widened in shock, and a surprised gasp escaped her lips. It was as if time had stood still for a brief moment. She seemed genuinely flabbergasted that I had arrived unannounced. Her initial reaction was a mixture of disbelief and embarrassment, as if she thought her home was in no shape to welcome guests. But, with an enthusiastic grin, she invited me inside and insisted on preparing a feast, urging me to stay the night. Namina's house was unlike any other. It buzzed with activity, an eclectic gathering of displaced witches who had sought refuge with her. They had formed a tight-knit community bound by gratitude for her kindness. These witches reciprocated her generosity by taking on various roles within the household, from cooking delectable dishes to keeping the place spotless, all while pledging their unwavering loyalty. However, my unexpected arrival stirred the waters of this tranquil sanctuary. As Namina infused the room with her vibrant energy and excitement, it became clear that not everyone was thrilled by my presence. Amidst the laughter and warmth, I caught the piercing gaze of one of her friends, a look that harboured unmistakable jealousy. This was my first encounter I had with Incendria. Now, before I delve into the intriguing details, let me be absolutely clear. Nothing I'm about to share should be construed as incriminating evidence or a testimony intended to implicate Intendria or anyone else involved. With that disclaimer in mind, let me transport you to that unforgettable moment when I found myself in a secluded corner with Namina and a circle of seasoned kitchen witches, each with a story to tell about the enigmatic Incendria. Incendria, whose true name was Serafina, emerged from a captivating tapestry of cultural and familial influences. She was born to an Italian mother and an Arabic father on the outskirts of Iran in a tight-knit Zoroastrian community. Tragedy struck early in her life when her father met a tragic end due to an earthquake. In the wake of this devastating loss, her mother made the fateful decision to return to her native Italy with Serafina and her siblings. However, the fiery spirit within Serafina led her to flee back to Iran. You're listening where she to found all the filthy food. details. To recount Sarah's <laughs> quest for a devoted partner, a spirited debate erupted among the witches, each with their own unique styles and practices. In this eclectic gathering, consensus eluded us, but from the chaos of differing opinions, a brilliant idea was born. We decided to craft a blended approach, drawing from our collective wisdom to help Sarah on her journey. Fatima. Gracious and nurturing, presented me with a home-cooked meal infused with secret herbs. This gift was meant for Sarah to savour tonight, along with the special herbs to add to her lover's food. Amira, with her soothing presence, handed me an array of candles in various shades of orange, pink and red. These were meant to chase away the shadows of despair, ushering in healing and rekindling the flames of passion. Then came the surprising twist. Just as the conversation seemed to reach its zenith, Incendria, who had briefly disappeared, returned with a mesmerising incense mix that enveloped the room in the heady scents of vanilla and cinnamon. With commanding authority, she handed me the package, along with some frankincense and myrrh, and uttered words that left me stunned. Burn this, she commanded, her voice laced with an enigmatic intensity, but her next words took me by surprise. But if you want to get results, you're going to have to sleep with her. The room fell into a stunned hush as her words hung in the air, an unexpected twist in the quest to help Sarah find love. My anticipation of returning to the hotel was palpable, despite Nemina's earnest pleas for me to stay the night. The spell we'd concocted together held a mysterious allure, and I yearned to see if it would weave its magic as intended. As I stepped into my hotel room, 
I couldn't contain my excitement. With a deliberate sense of purpose, I prepared the room meticulously, igniting the incense and arranging the candles in a mesmerising pattern. The aura in the room became electrified with an otherworldly energy, an enchanting promise of transformation. Sarah, exhausted from her shift, joined me for a meal, and the tantalising aroma of Fatima's food enveloped us. She savoured each bite, her senses awakening to a new realm of possibilities. It was the perfect moment to share the essence of what we were trying to accomplish. With a gentle yet compelling tone, I began to unveil the purpose behind the carefully chosen elements in the room. Each element was a deliberate step designed to coax her inner woman to the forefront, rekindling her lost radiance. Sarah listened intently. Her curiosity peaked as I unravelled the mysteries behind the candles, the incense and the symbolism woven into our plan. However, there remained one crucial step, the pinnacle of our endeavour, awakening her sexuality. As I broached this delicate topic, a hush fell over the room and Sarah inhaled deeply, fully grasping the gravity of my proposal. Her initial hesitation hung in the air, but then, like the flicker of a candle in a darkened room, she embraced the idea with a newfound curiosity. In that moment, the room seemed to hold its breath as if the very air around us recognised the transformative power of what was about to unfold. I pressed my lips softly against Sarah's, gently tugging at her bra strap to reveal her voluptuous breasts. After savouring her kisses for a few minutes, I pulled her hair back, granting me access to her neck, where I planted tender kisses. A moan escaped her lips, fueling my own arousal. With a soft bite on her collarbone, I elicited a pleasurable sound that fell between a moan and a groan. Sensing her body's readiness, I reached for her breasts, feeling her nipples harden against her chest. Arching her chest forward, she silently pleaded for me to suckle her breasts. Placing a gentle kiss between them, I continued my exploration downwards, tracing a path from her belly to her thighs. Eagerly, she parted her legs, silently yearning for my attention. By this point, her breaths were heavy, caught between moans and screams of pleasure. Teasingly, I reached for her nipples, toying with them, while muffling her moans with my kisses. As she arched her back in ecstasy, I revelled in the power of the desire I was stoking within her. Gently parting her legs to my satisfaction, I delved between her smooth and swollen lips, retrieving her drenched thong. She was already dripping with desire, her underwear soaked with sticky arousal. Removing the thong, I pressed my lips to her engorged pussy lips, teasingly pulling and sucking on them. Her moans intensified, her hand reaching for my head. Without hesitation, I allowed her to guide me towards her throbbing core. Easing my tongue into her wetness, it slid effortlessly, a testament to her overwhelming arousal. As I skillfully alternated between thrusting my tongue in and out of her depths and stimulating her clit with my hand, I savoured the symphony of her moans and cries. With one hand holding down her leg and the other exploring her most intimate areas, she writhed in unison with my movements, consumed by pleasure. Her unabashed vocalisations fuelled my own desire to push her further. Ignoring any discomfort in my arm, I increased the tempo resolute in delivering the orgasm she craved. Faster, she screamed, a plea that only fuelled my determination to bring her to the pinnacle of ecstasy. Briefly slowing down, I revelled in the frustrated scream that escaped her lips. Then I resumed with an even greater fervour, my fingers thrusting with a speed limited only by the strength of my arm. To temper her screams, I kissed her passionately, though I relished witnessing her unrestrained moans and cries as I pleasured her. 
Her chest rose and fell rapidly as if she had just completed a marathon race. Gripping the sheets tightly, she valiantly struggled to contain the uncontrollable pleasure surging through her body. Muscles contracting and teeth clenched, she fought against the urge to scream. The faster my fingers moved in and out of her, the more vigorously I rubbed her clit. Disregarding any discomfort, I intensified my pace, fully ready to grant her the orgasm she so richly deserved. With one final scream and a barely audible, I'm gonna come, she seized my wrist, but I persisted in my thrusting until she erupted in a torrent of pleasure, drenching my face and shirt. Her body convulsed on the bed, her attempts to escape the waves of pleasure futile. Her dilated pupils and clenching vaginal walls held my fingers hostage, yielding to my insatiable desire. You're listening to all the filthy details. <laughs> we understand that erotica this hot belongs behind a paywall, but we are making around an hour of Enchantress free for you to listen to. All you have to do is follow the link in the description to get started. And there's no need to sign up unless you want more uninterrupted, unbridled erotica. Should you choose to sign up, you'll get our full erotica audiobook library and access to our exclusive podcast, Shh, Extra Filth, amongst other goodies like royalty-free art for self-published erotica. You're listening to all the filthy details. <laughs> Here's some hot erotica to look out for. A young writer, Jessica Seeks, has been chained to a desk in a mirror-walled dungeon and made to write erotica for the pleasure of a mysterious stranger. The man behind the mirror. Her book, Mirror Secret Mirror, has just been published. You can find it on Amazon, Apple, and all major ebook retailers. It's available in both print and digital formats. Get your copy now to read the next big thing in erotica before everyone else. The Edge of Paradise by Christian Pan. Donatella runs her Nevada dance company with an iron fist. What she says goes. But after work, she likes to go to a special club in the desert and let someone else be in control. The Edge of Paradise. Available in print and ebook. The Witch of Rosemary Lane by Elena Nix. A captivating tale of love, danger, and dark secrets. Join Connor Dawson as he falls under the spell of the smoking hot cat lady, Felina da Silva. With whispers of witchcraft and an irresistible allure, Felina may be too good to be true. As their desires intertwine, Connor's dreams take a sinister turn, and Felina is more than willing to make them a reality. But when a neighbor is found murdered, Connor must choose between revealing the truth about Felina or surrendering to his insatiable lust. Will their love survive, or will Connor discover the true nature of his bewitching temptress? Find links to all these titles in the description. You're listening to all the filthy details. <laughs> In last episode, we gave our star recommendation to Audrey Horn, the author behind Ghost of Timor. On today's Spotlight on Eroticists, we are going to interview them. Hi. Hello. Thank you for having me on your show. As I hope you can tell, I'm not who I seem. I'm, in fact, an Australian. My pseudonym is... 
Dr. Girlfriend, and I, but I publish under the name Audrey Horn. Last month, we awarded you our star recommendation for your book, Ghost of Timor, a Jerry and Allie story. For those now familiar with this work, what can people expect to read? Ghost of Timor is the second part in of a series that I began in 2022. The first book in the series begins with the story of how Jeremy and Allison met, fell in love, and ultimately split up. It ends with them reunited many years later and about to launch into a new sexual adventure. In Ghost of Timor, between bouts of lovemaking, Jeremy begins to tell Allison the story of his, his adventures following their earlier breakup. As they wind back the years, Allison starts to shed her adult inhibitions and embrace her long-forgotten sexual exuberance. But, as you'll find, both Jeremy and Allison have secrets which they will not reveal to each other until much later in the series. We understand you spend time with the Australian military, just like your characters do in your books. Does this make these Jerry and Allie stories more personal to you? Absolutely. The events of the stories are set during my lifetime. Some of those incidents were a big deal in Australia at the time, even though they didn't really capture the world's attention. While Jeremy and Allison are fictional characters, many of the scenes are based on either true stories that I witnessed, read, or heard. For example, I've never been to Timor, but I know many in the military who did. Some of the descriptions of the places and events are from stories of their time there. Some people without a military background would jump to all sorts of conclusions about sex in the forces. What do you think the biggest misconception are from those who have never served about sex in the military? In 2023, I think you could compare the military with most workplaces in its attitude to relationships. Decades earlier, however, even though fraternisation was banned, everyone knew that it went on behind closed doors. With more women entering the military in larger numbers these days than ever before, it's just no longer possible to expect fit young people to keep their hands off each other. For example, Ghost of Timor is set in 1999, and Sally and John are married. Their workplace relationship would have been considered quite normal for that time. But having said that, even in 2023, the military is still mostly dominated by men, which means that the women in the service can have a very good time if they so choose. Your debut in its original form received some criticism, including from ourselves. How did it feel receiving that feedback? Was it valued? The Night We Met was my first book, so I never expected it to be perfect. So I think the criticism was fair, but I also found it constructive rather than discouraging. However, in the book's defense, I've had feedback from many people who loved the format, but I also acknowledge that the style deterred some readers. My aim with the format was to give the reader Jeremy and Alison's viewpoints, as both characters' feelings and observations were equally important. And, in my opinion, to give both perspectives of a sex scene or a first kiss, but put them in separate chapters, would lessen the impact during the second telling. Are some of your cast in the Jerry and Allie series inspired by real people? Definitely. While some of them are composite real-life characters with fictional embellishments, other personalities or incidents are real-ish. Take Jeremy's ex-girlfriend Beth, for example. While Beth isn't a real person, I've been in enough breakups in my time to have enough experiences to write that kind of character and that kind of clash. If you weren't writing books in the Jerry and Allie series, what would you like to write? 
I have a young family, and my older son has only just begun his love affair with reading, but he's already told me that he is now keen to write a book. I want to make some time and publish a book with him before the year is out. It will be a choose-your-own-adventure with aliens and monsters, so it'll be a bit different to my usual fare. What are you working on next? I'm at the midpoint of my first draft for the next Winjerryman Alley story, Tampa Gold. Tampa Gold will follow the format established in Ghost of Timor, where Jeremy retells the next chapter from his past to Allison in the present day. My idea for the series is that we will get to see both Jeremy and Allison grow sexually and as people as their stories unfold in different time periods, culminating in a finale set in 2023. In Tampa Gold, the present day action will move to Allison's hometown of Bathurst in rural Australia. I don't want to give away too much, but Alison is going to spend much of the novel accidentally living out her fantasy as an embarrassed naked female. Do you read erotica? If so, who are some of your favourite creatives? Two of my favourite authors at the moment are Ada Watson and Cara Brin. They both write embarrassed naked female stories in quite a different style. Ada Watson's tend to have a bit more traditional, you know, and have a happy ending as the payoff. Whereas Cara Brin's protagonists are naked, but they never actually have sex. I find both styles intriguing and I'm keen to emulate them if I can. Another author that I read a lot of is Cornelia Quick. She's quite prolific and her Winning with the Wildcats series about a small town baseball coach is well worth a good read. Finally, Stagger Desires and Allure Words blogs, both on WordPress, are two sensual poets and deep thinkers that I follow religiously. Can we get an exclusive preview of something unreleased you're working on? Absolutely. The following is an excerpt from the first chapter of my new book, Tampa Gold. Finally, the voices stripped it off. She knew she had no other options left, and with her temper up, she guessed that she could easily pass off her nerves as confidence. Pausing, she scanned once more for any silent pedestrians. Seeing none, she rose slowly from her crouch up to her full height. Looking around, she dusted herself off, hoping to make herself look more presentable. If all went as planned, she wouldn't need long. Just in and get on with it, before he asked too many questions. Walking onto the flag footpath, she took two steps up to the wooden veranda and stepped up to the front door. She rang the bell without hesitation. There was no point hoping that he wasn't home. His car was in the driveway and music blared from within. If he hadn't been there, she could have lifted up the pot plant and taken the spare key 15 minutes ago. Letting herself in, she could have taken what she needed and been on her way. No one in the entire world would have known what had happened to her that evening. And with that thought, the terror of the last hour left her, and she felt something else entirely. Exhilaration. Good, she said out loud. You have to be on right now. As the door opened, the sound of music increased, and she felt the cool of the air conditioning flow over her. As the warmth of the evening was suddenly replaced, her skin tightened and tingled, and she shuddered. The man looked at her with wide eyes, shocked at her appearance. Alison, her husband asked. Hello, Jason, Alison said, in as sultry a voice as she could muster. Do you mind if I come in? Sure, he said, but why are you naked? Alison didn't answer. She closed her eyes and stepped inside. How had it come to this? 
How can we follow you on social media? My main site is whenjerrymetalley.com. You can find links to all my books and some other stuff there. I'm also on Twitter as Doc T Girlfriend, or one word, and Facebook as Audrey Horn. I publish once a week on all sites as a rule. Thanks again for joining us and providing us with these exclusive insights. Remember, Audrey Horn's links can be found in the description. You're listening to All the Filthy Details. <laughs> As usual, we've reviewed books so you don't have to. So to get a taste of what these authors are offering, let's hand you over to Filth, the erotic book review. Welcome to Filth, the erotic book review. As we find ourselves in the midst of the Halloween season, we have something special in store for you today. Three tantalizing occult-themed erotica titles. These talented authors have been eagerly anticipating our critiques for a whole month, and the time has finally come. So, without further ado, let's dive right in and satisfy your cravings for literary indulgence. The Scarecrow Comes at Midnight by Dakota Voss. Jack walked around her, asking the neighbors if they liked what they saw. To her horror, some of them answered. They clapped and cheered. She recognized their voices. She had known these people for years. She had gone to their events. Their children go to the same school. And there they were, seeing her degraded like that, with her pussy in full view. Everyone could probably see how wet my pussy is, she thought. They could see that it is engorged and longing to be touched. I'm such a slut, she thought. I'm such a dirty slut. For how long have I fantasized about this? I just never thought this would actually happen to me. Be careful what you wish for, Jack said. You are indeed a dirty slut. She heard something whipping through the air. Mona let out a moan of defeat. Jack knew everything. It was worse than she thought. She couldn't hide her dirty thoughts from him. She screamed when he flogged her ass. She trembled. Oh no, he knew about that too. This orange demon was going to take me all the way. Her heart began to race. I don't think I can handle it. I'm going to pass out. Jack flogged her again, making her body spasm. The sting from the flogger melted into her skin and traveled to places in her pelvis that made her scream. Jack didn't quit. He flipped his flogger at her buttocks, breasts, and legs, covering her in red streaks. Mona's eyes rolled up in her head while strings of saliva danced from her chin. Air huffed in and out of her forced open mouth. Her moans grew deeper when she realized it might happen. She might come while being flogged. Her stomach did flips. No, that must not happen. That would be the most embarrassing thing. She wouldn't let that happen. Jack, the evil, demented demon that he was, 
gently ran the flogger over her wet pussy. Mona tried to waddle away one more time. She can't let that happen. Jack laughed. Where are you going? He flicked the flogger at her pussy. Mona froze and trembled. For a moment she was silent, but then she bellowed out moans as Jack began his flogging, this time focusing only on her pussy and ass, sending electric shocks to her loins. She surrendered. It was inevitable. It consumed her like an avalanche, starting deep in her pelvis and spreading throughout her body until everything was shaking. Jack growled with joy. As the contractions of her orgasm made her body convulse, the anal hooks pulled at her anus and made her come even harder. Her insides melted. She felt new sensations and lost control of her nether regions, gushing uncontrollably from her pussy. Oh my God! She let out shrieks, but she couldn't stop it. With each pulse of her pussy, she squirted until she was empty. Dizzy now from pleasure, she stood still. Only in dreams had she felt that, even better in reality. The intensity, the complete loss of control. Her mind was a mess. You beautiful slut. Jack patted her wet pussy and said in her ear, you should see the look on their faces. That made her begin sobbing, the embarrassment. They would all know now. They would know that she was a lust-filled whore who had orgasms from being flogged, gagged, and used as a sex toy. Don't worry, Jack said. We're not finished. She looked at him through her wet eyes as he came around. Uh-huh, she said to him and thought in her head. Fuck me however you want now. I don't care anymore. Do whatever you want with me. I'm yours. Use me. Jack didn't hesitate. He grabbed her head and rammed his cock in her mouth through the open ring gog. She didn't have her hand to push against him anymore. His cock opened the back of her throat and plunged deeper than anything she'd ever had before. He ignored her gagging and gurgling, thrusting into her until his belly touched her face. To her surprise, she was able to keep from throwing up, but the sounds that escaped her throat were horrible, along with the copious amount of mucus mixing with Jack's pre-com. Fuck! Jack yelled and pulled her face to his belly. He held her there and trembled. She felt the cock throbbing in her throat, and then the rush of hot semen as he filled her up. She couldn't breathe nor move as he came inside her. Her belly heaved, but she was plugged. Nothing came up. Fuck, she thought. How much cum does he have? When he finally began to thrust in and out again, she retched and blew the orange cum out her nose. Still, he didn't care. He emptied the rest of his load while thrusting into her. She was gagging and making horrible sounds again. After a few more groans, Jack let her go and sat back to catch his breath. Mona was stuck in the same position, dripping slime from her chin, tears running down her cheeks, and trembling from the exertion of having to keep her spine arched. Please, she thought, I can't hold this anymore. I'm going to rip my ass apart. Jack unfastened the buckles from her mouth gag and released her hands. She pulled the gag off and tested her jaw to make sure it was working. Then she slowly pulled the anal hooks out of her ass. 
On Halloween night, an ancient force seeks a dissatisfied soul's desires. Mona, heartbroken by her cheating boyfriend, loses hope. Mona's night takes a terrifying and gratifying turn when an amorous spirit inhabits a missing scarecrow, fulfilling her deepest fantasies. Heel Slut, an adult-lit RPG fantasy by Molly Meadows. The bodice flew apart as a pair of cantaloupe-sized breasts spilled out, swaying in the open air. They drooped slightly under their own weight. Pink nipples crowned each pale tit like cherry blossoms on a pair of frosty mountaintops. With the dwarf's crotch positioned under her chest, Ophelia hefted a tit in either hand. They were firm, despite how supple flesh seeped through her fingers. Most people believed the elf to be magically augmented, and while they weren't wrong, Ophelia knew the chain maven's insights were wasted on the narrow-minded. The maven's grace reforged seekers, the patron's gift allowing Ophelia to further nourish the hardier elven body of the Amari. Taking a meat pillow in each hand, Ophelia brought her tits together on his rod with a resounding plap. The dwarf jerked. His idle nerve endings were sensitive and eager. The dwarf thrusted weakly into Ophelia's warmth, a reaction that was more instinct than choice. They were like a pair of wineskins filled with warm clay. The lad's cock was helpless to her touch, springing up into Ophelia's embrace. The head of his cock peeked up through the valley tit meat. She gave it a crooked smile. Mouth opening, Ophelia's pink tongue lolled down past her chin. It moved with the liquid grace of a snake. Flicking the head of his cock, the dwarf bucked against her. Ophelia gave a throaty chuckle. His consciousness stirred, muscular thighs squeezing against Ophelia as he tried to orient himself. Now, now, you were being such a good boy. The dwarf blinked wearily up at her. Ophelia's face was partly obstructed by the swell of her breasts, but the hungry look in her lavender-colored eyes said plenty. Mother? What... What devilry is... As her tongue slid down his shaft, Ophelia couldn't help drooling. Saliva splashed across his twitching tip. The dwarf's response was immediate, his wide hips thrusting rapidly. Sweat flew as skin slapped skin. Each impact sent ripples through the elf's mighty chest. The dwarf was lost to his senses, dry humping like a rabbit racing from extinction. Ophelia pressed her doughy tits together till they were flattened beneath her palms. She could actually feel the shape of his throbbing mass through her soft tit meat. Sure the struggling warden was secure, Ophelia rolled her tongue back up. She leaned in, lush lips brushed the tip of his cock, leaving a smudge of lipstick. A bead of precum bubbled from his yawned cockhole. Ophelia whispered the maven's ritual. Mother of strife, slave and wife, allow me to serve for thee. The dwarf thrusted one last time before his body went rigid. Ophelia felt the lad's nuts ready to burst with their load. Ophelia guided the trembling prick with her tongue, wrapping her lips around the salty helmet of his cock. It twitched once, twice, and thrice. Then the dwarf's hairy nutsack drew up, his churning load of baby batter surging up like a flushed pipeline. Ophelia greeted the dwarven reinforcements with a whore's appetite pumping and slurping and guzzling. She drank from the lad like a water hose. Jizz rolled down her chin and splattered on her chest. Ironically, 
the dwarf never even knew he was coming. Ophelia had used their sympathetic bond to dull his senses, didn't want to break the poor bastard. She did note, however, the purple hues of euphoria seeping back into his mind's cloud. He didn't even notice the itching sensation as the various wounds riddling his bodies began to slowly knit close. Even the nightmares harrowing him had evaporated like smoke from a spent candle. She finished with satisfied pop, leaving him just as flaccid as when she started. Ophelia rolled the dwarf off her lap. He'd still a long night's rest to fully recoup, but was otherwise fit as a fiddle. Ophelia glanced down at her heaving chest. Curds of salty cock cream had mixed with spit and sweat. She made a vulgar display for one who represented a coven. And yet, all she could think about was the mess she was about to make. The elf stood and slowly turned to the other unconscious wardens. Her skirt had bunched, revealing thighs and hips alike. The narrow triangle of leather she'd stuffed her giblets in had gone damp. Above the heft of her balls was the source of the moisture. The shape of Ophelia's elven prick was little more than a nub. Her cocklet leaked as the rough leather rubbed at her sensitive tip, a hand hooked up between her thighs. Cupping her bulge momentarily before moving up, she pressed on the clitty like a button and rubbed it in quick circles. The thong was soaked through in seconds. Ophelia sighed, her breath steaming the air. Who's next? Rarely do elves become enslaved in Eos, but for Ophelia Stillborn, servitude brought a deeper understanding of her magical abilities. Chain seekers embrace servitude, strife, and suffering. So when Ophelia was chosen for a perilous task by the mercenary guild, she was thrilled. Desperate times call for desperate allies, even if they are despised by the holy churches like covens and cults. Ophelia's mission is to use her unique magic to aid in an escalating conflict in the outer territories. The guild expects her to perish quickly, unaware of her potential as a skilled healer. With her strong connection to the Chain Maven, Ophelia is determined to follow this path to true power. That is, if she can even reach her destination. Manor of the Succubus by Jay Ori. You lick your lips uncertainly eyeing the pink snake slut. In particular, her impressive breasts and needy pulsing eyes. Those hearts in them that throb with heat, with love, with submission, with need. And, and what is waiting for you out of this room? More demon girls? More sadistic seductresses scheming to enslave you? Why face it? Why go on? Why not stay and enjoy the sinful fruits of your cleverness? After all, you're so smart. Why not keep this submissive snake slut as your own? A just reward for what you've been through so far. You smirk, settling into the idea, slotting into it like it was always meant to be. Slave, you say, and how good it feels to see the Lamia's form shiver in delight, her lips parting with a gasp at the power in that word. I think your master needs a little attention. Ooh, of course, master. From my big bimbo lips, she asks, touching those soft red pillows. Her eyes pulsing hearts. That's a good start, you say. Ladona giggles, sliding up to you, down before you. Her fingers tease open your pants, tugging them open, down. Your cock pops free, throbbing with lust for this dumb slut. Her eyes sparkle with delight. Uh-oh, master, so big, she coos. 
wrapping her hands delicately around your cock and giving it a long, adoring stroke. You grunt, the sensation aching into your balls. Yeah, yes, you say, and all for you. Ladona gasps in delight. You mean it? She says, wriggling in happiness, her breasts swaying like two plump balloons. Oh, yeah, you breathe, watching her move. Mmm, thank you, master. Slave is so thankful. Ladona moans, leans in and sheathes you between her soft lips. You groan in pleasure as those perfect red pillows envelop your cock. Lips made for sucking, sliding down to your root, taking you deep into the hot mouth of your new bimbo plaything. Fuck. You knew snakes were swallowers, but you never guessed how good it could be. Ladona moans in pleasure, the sound vibrating down your cock as she starts to bob, her lips sliding up and down, adoring you with absolute pleasure. Oh, fuck, you moan, grabbing her hair, hips thrusting into her hungry lips, fucking her serpentine face with growing need. Every thrust sends another throb of pure pleasure aching into your balls. Her mouth is so fucking perfect, her eyes pulsing with love as they look up into yours, her existence wrapped around this moment, much like her pink coils are wrapping around you, tipping you back into a chair of serpentine scales, giving her a better angle to bob in you lap, her puffy hair gripped tight in your hands as you drive her down onto your dick. It's good. Too good. Those lips should be illegal, classified as a deadly fucking weapon. You can already feel your orgasm nearing, your balls churning. Fuck, fuck, suck it, suck me. Suck my fucking cock, you bimbo slut. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck, yes, yes, Ladona. Oh, sweet, fuck, yes, Ladona. Yes, you howl with pleasure as you're pushed past the brink. As you buck, thrusting up into her eager lips, cock throbbing with your peak, Ladona moans as you pump up into her mouth, her throat working as she eagerly swallows every drop of your seed, using that serpentine swallowing skill to the greatest possibly effect. You pant as the Lamia lifts her lips from your cock, her pulsing eyes looking eagerly to you. Did I do good, master? It takes you a moment to find your voice, but that's okay. It gives you some more time to watch her eyes pulse with love for you. Yeah, you, yeah. You say, ruffling her hair wearily. Yeah, you did. Who? You did good, slut. Ladona beams. Thank you, master. Would you like me to fuck you with my tits now? Now? I don't know, I... You trail off, realising you're hard again. Not just hard throbbing. Your cock twitches from your lap, Ladona's hand idly playing up and down it as she gives you those puppy dog eyes, her soft lips pushed out in a needy pout. Please, master! Can Slave use her tits to get more cum? Her eyes pulse, and you sigh, relaxing. Yes, Slave, you may, you say. Oh, thank you, master, Ladona cries, easing forward, enveloping your cock in her immense breasts. Slave thanks you so much. Thank me with your tits, slot, you command. Will do. Ladona giggles, mashing her pillowy breasts around your cock and beginning to bounce them. You groan, sinking back into her coils, watching her eyes pulse with love. Loving you, adoring you, serving you. The perfect slave, the perfect bimbo. Her perfect breasts bouncing around her master's cock, teasing you towards another climax. Yes, you think watching the hearts of her eyes pulse. Yes, 
what a good slave you have, she'll adore serving her master in this library. And if you do ever want to leave, you can always slay her then. Of course, by then you might have trouble finding your sword, but surely your obedient bimbo slave would never hide anything from you. So relax. Enjoy. You can always think of a way to escape later. Inheriting a manor from your late uncle was surprising. Discovering it's filled with lustful demon girls craving your soul. Armed with a sword, potions, and luck, face off against them. In this graphic, choose your own path title. Will you escape or become a victim of the manor of the succubi? With explicit femdom action and various encounters, choose your path. Failure has never been so pleasurable. We asked our latest star recommendation winner, Audrey Horn, to help us critique these books. Here are some of their hot takes. The Scarecrow Comes at Midnight by Dakota Voss. This story has excellent early scene setting. Using only an economy of words, the author has painted a picture of a lonely and sexually frustrated woman. The author has also done a great job of foreshadowing the action to follow. We know in one page that the protagonist is alone on Halloween, there is a scarecrow in the house, and it is her drunken wish that it come alive and seduce her. When she passes out on the couch, the reader is left to decide whether she is experiencing a dream or a waking nightmare in all that follows. My criticism is more a personal bias. The violence of the sex did not appeal to me, but reading it objectively, I can see that it is necessary for the story and it ticks a lot of boxes. It has anal, BDSM, and good, embarrassed naked females. A good, quick read if you're into non-consexual erotica. Heel Slut by Molly Meadows. This is a short story with much care taken on world building. The author has thought deeply about their background universe before committing pen to paper. Unfortunately, this means that the majority of the story is taken up with world building and introducing characters just as the story reaches its climax. But that is not to say that the story doesn't show promise. I think it would benefit by having more time to breathe. The same premise at double the length would give adequate setup and the reader an exciting payoff. Manner of the Succubus by Jay Ori. At almost 100,000 words and 300 pages, this story was not easy to encapsulate in a short review. This was additionally true as the author has taken on the monumental task of writing the story as a choose-your-own erotic horror adventure. The choice of setting the book in a haunted house was very clever. It suits the genre and gives the reader a reason for having to experience multiple sexual encounters to escape the house. I was certainly impressed by the dedication of the writer to produce something this ambitious. I was able to navigate the plot several times, but it hit roadblocks if I made wrong choices, forcing me to start again. Choosing the horror genre suited the story that the author was trying to tell, but it wasn't enough true horror in the story to repel the casual reader or give anyone nightmares. We also had our team reading these books. Here's Davina reflecting on those thoughts. The Scarecrow Comes at Midnight was skillfully crafted to evoke intense and provocative emotions. However, its non-consensual sexual undertones and graphic portrayal of restraining methods may not be universally embraced. While this short and edgy read is expertly written, it falls short in leaving a lasting impression due to its lack of depth. 
If I may draw a whimsical analogy about our next book, Heel Slut could be likened to one of Tolkien's most tantalising dreams. Brace yourself for an enthralling journey through a fantastical realm, where a captivating mix of humanoid races with alluring and distinct sexual properties awaits. However, as is customary in this genre, a substantial portion of the narrative is dedicated to meticulously crafting the intricate world and establishing power dynamics. Personally, this would be my top choice among the three titles. Yet, I must admit that one point I have had to concede when advocating for the book's merits is its unfinished quality, despite the considerable effort invested. With its current word count, it seems that at least five books would be necessary to satiate readers' thirst for a truly complete experience. Manor of the Succubus provided an immensely captivating reading experience, complete with exquisitely crafted and enticing sex scenes. I was pleasantly surprised to discover that the choose-your-own-path narrative was even more engaging than I had anticipated. However, while this erotica may not have been to my personal taste, I have no doubt that it has the potential to captivate a wide audience of erotica enthusiasts. I must admit that I found myself deliberately making what I perceived as ill-fated decisions in order to hasten the arrival of the scintillating sexual encounters. This somewhat frustrated me as I had hoped that these encounters would be rewarding consequences of making judicious choices rather than leading to undesirable outcomes. Nevertheless, this sentiment is purely subjective and may not resonate with other readers. Results time. The Scarecrow Comes at Midnight is a 3.8 out of 5. When it comes to the erotic nature of this book, the tension between the characters is so intense that it's hard not to get drawn in. However, I must warn you that some readers may find the consent aspect a bit controversial. The pacing is fantastic, but my only complaint is that the book is a bit too short. I can't help but feel that it could have had even more impact with a few extra chapters. Despite this, it's still one of the most captivating reads I've come across lately. It's just missing that certain spark in the storyline that would make me want to rave about it to others. Heel Slut is a 4 out of 5. I loved where this book took me, but I felt a bit robbed when we reached our final destination. There's plenty of world building in this title, with the different relationships between the species and people of rank. The erotica scenes were well done, with plenty of flirtatious moments between. This book seems to set up a sequel better than it satisfies a conclusion. Overall, this is a great, easy to recommend read, which is probably worthy of purchasing both titles, but lacks a little something on its own. Manor of the Succubus is a 4.1 out of 5. Choose your own adventure books can be a tricky genre to review, but I believe there are some constant narratives that make this book a little easier to break down. So, each chapter or section mostly represents another encounter with diverse succubus. These sections present a number of opportunities for erotic sexual encounters with a mostly unbalanced power dynamic. Playing it safe may result in a less salacious journey. In the beginning, you start to notice a progression in difficulty as the book progresses, 
giving the title lots of opportunities at a new lease of life at its conclusion. The narrative does sound a lot blander than most books, as a lot of the title is pinned down in repetitive style details, painting the pictures of what you can see. However, this doesn't spoil the experience, especially with our main concern of how the sex is handled, and that is done exceptionally well. So, to be clear, Jay Ori wins our star recommendation for this episode. The decision to undertake a bold, ambitious project paid off on this occasion, which is something our other talented authors are certainly capable of as well. We will be inviting Jay Ori as a special guest on next month's podcast. We recommend that you read all of these books. The links can be found in the description. We'll attempt to dive deeper into these books via Patreon, but for now, thanks for joining us and enjoy the rest of the show. You're listening to All the Filthy Details. <laughs> Make sure to check out those titles. As always, the links can be found in the description. Also, keep an open mind and write your own reviews. Let's hear from our erotic community. Full sessions are a way you can instantly get involved with our podcast. Contact us on X, Twitter, to find out more. Hello, everybody. This is Christian Pan for another edition of The Pulse Session, where I get to talk with some of the most exciting and creative people working within the erotic imagination that I can find. Today, we're here with Tori Ross, who's a writer and a podcaster and much, much more. Tori, how are you doing today? I'm great. How are you today? I'm actually doing pretty well, thanks. Thanks for asking. First of all, Congratulations on your book, The Cuffing Seasons Contract, winning the National Indie Excellence Award in Romantic Comedy. Can you tell us all a little bit about that book? Uh, yeah, so The Cuffing Season Contract was kind of my first bout of writer's block. It was the first book that I struggled with to actually get it done. It was a totally unexpected thing to win the National Indie Excellence Award for Romantic Comedy. I had entered the book into a few contests and was shut out of all of them. I mean, not even making finalists. I don't know about you, and I don't know about other writers out there that may be listening, but I suffer from very intense imposter syndrome. And I think the award, when it, it hasn't been this magic bullet for sales, and, and people had told me that was going to happen, you know, it's not going to sell a million books, but it has greatly increased my confidence. Um, I tend to Right outside the box sometimes, I don't necessarily fit the mold. So just winning the award showed me that my work is creative and appreciated. And that was like the kick in my pants, so to speak, so that I could actually just kind of dig in and write what I want to write. Yes, I, I, think, uh, I think a lot of writers, I know myself included, can relate to that sense of imposter syndrome. And right. that sense of um, comparing our our sense of ourselves as a writer to what we perceive the are the accomplishments and the sales of other people. Um, right. And I'm glad that you are finding ways to just focus on writing what you want to write. You seem to have a real gift at doing everything from steamy romance to hot erotica. 
What is right. the, why is that your field of interest? Why is that subject what you want to write today? And why is that important? Well, you know, I think uh, with writing steamy romance and kind of putting a little bit of erotica into the book um, and then making it a romantic comedy, all of those things, I think it's an emotional thing. And I don't know how other writers see this, but I feel like when I write a book, I want it to be emotional and I want there to be a very broad range of emotions. Mm. So when people read a book, depending on genre, let's say they like horror, for example, I'm just going to pick on horror <laughs> right now. Why not? Um, you, you read it because you want to be horrified. You want to be scared. You want to feel something. I mean, they don't want to be butchered to death in real life. They want to have that fear. And I think with romantic comedy mixed with a little bit of erotic scenarios in there, um, that humor kind of goes hand in hand for people that want to feel a broad range of emotions when they pick up a book. You know, life isn't always roses. We have erotic moments in life. I know you write about them. Uh, We have funny moments in life. We have sad moments. And I think people like to read about all of those feelings kind of combined along with something that they just want to read and it's dirty. Yeah. And I think I often wonder if because we're spending more and more of our daily lives as a society on screens and burying our faces into our phones, if that's one of the reasons why there's such a explosion of indie erotic writers and self-published erotic and romance writers, because we want stories of that uh, human connection, that Right. That sensuality, that heat, that skin on skin. We want to laugh while we do it sometimes too. Yeah. Sex doesn't always have to be so serious. And I'm a very funny person in real life. Funny things happen to me. And, you know, I just, I like being funny. And I yeah. think you can be funny and erotic and have a sexual story to tell all at the same time. Absolutely. That's one of the things I love about your writing. Um, is that it does have that humor and it does have that sensuality all combined into one fiction, into one story. You also wrote a nonfiction book called Confessions of a, of a Reluctant Erotica Writer. Um, right. For those that don't know what that's about, can you tell us not only what that book is, but what inspired you to write it? Oh, gosh. So Confessions of a Reluctant Erotica Writer was kind of a brainchild that you know how you get those thoughts in the middle of the day like I should write this and you know you think it's a good idea at the time and then later on you're like oh I don't know if I should have done that (laughs) I have such a love-hate relationship with this book and and you even know it you know we we discussed oh I don't know if I want to put this out in the world and I kind of went back and forth on it Uh, Confessions of a Reluctant Erotic Writer is basically my story. I write romance under Tori Ross, but I also have three erotica pen names that do better than my romance. Mm. And it was so frustrating to me that I put so much effort into my romance and I put so much marketing into my romance that I couldn't sell my romance for a while and I needed some money. I was off work. I needed some money and I started writing erotica and it took off. And so that the, this nonfiction book is my story about how I got started writing erotica, how much I enjoy writing erotica, which really surprised me. I'm also honest with my friends that I write erotica. I don't tell them my pen name. 
Uh, <laughs> but I'm very honest with what I write. And just some of the interactions that I've had with people over the first year of writing erotica that is in the book. And to be honest with you, a lot of people were asking me, what's the secret to this? How can I get involved in this? And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to write it. I'm going to have fun with it and I'm going to write it. Right on. Yeah. I think that's really refreshing because I think sometimes there's a lot of generalities about this is how you do it to be a successful erotic writer of any, any style, any genre, any interest, any readership. And I appreciate that you have a book that's not a one size fits all, but is really getting specific about, well, here's what I did. Here's what my experience is. And um, then people can see um, how that can relate to their own ambitions or their own experiences as well. Um, you know, I was very honest in this book. It is such an honest, raw, and maybe that's why I stopped and said, I don't know if I want to publish it. Um, eventually, I was encouraged by Selena Moore and a few other erotica authors. Um, and they said, this is amazing. You just need to publish it. This is so on just, it's just everything in it. You're spitting the truth. And, you know, one thing I did focus on in that book was how hard it is, how it is crushing work. It is constant volume. It is imposter syndrome. We keep going back to that. Um, and just building a backlist and having this business mentality. And I don't think people realize it. Yeah. Everybody listening, check out Tori Ross. She's got a lot to offer from her steamy romance, her erotica, her podcast, her upcoming books. Tori, thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for your contribution. Links can be found for everything you've heard in the show's description section. You're listening to All the Filthy Details. <laughs> we are eager to collaborate with more erotica writers to solidify our position as the leading podcast within the erotica community. We would like to extend an invitation to various writers to join us on the show and share details about their forthcoming projects, partnerships, and thrilling releases from the erotica community. If you're interested in providing us with a brief on your exciting projects, please reach out to us via our Twitter handle. You're listening to All the Filthy Details. <laughs> that was awesome so far, but we still aren't done yet. We have even more content from Enchantress for you to enjoy. Let's indulge. Paul Rice wondered, why was the family grimoire originally destined for me and not for an older relative such as a parent or aunt? It all harks back to the sacred traditions of our covenant, where not all covens tread the same mystical path, but one thing's for certain, the reverence for the power of the mother. It's woven into the very fabric of our existence. In our lineage, we believe that the grimoire must be entrusted to a grandchild rather than an older relative. For it's a mark of our devotion to the timeless strength of the maternal line. The law whispers that a daughter, once she has borne her own, remains forever the daughter. But a grandchild, you see, embodies a connection between generations, bridging the gap between our ancestral spirits and the future. And in regards to the timing, in our ancient lineage, we hold a profound belief in the extraordinary power that dwells within a woman during the sacred period of her life when she's menstruating. 
It's not merely tradition, it's a testament to the potent life energy and magic potential that courses through her veins during this time. During menstruation, a woman is infused with a unique and unparalleled magic. This isn't just any magic but an extraordinary force, akin to the pulsating energy of the earth herself. It's a time when a woman's innate power reaches its zenith, when the very essence of life and creation flows through her. Within the pages of our grimoire, this truth is enshrined, a testament to the mighty potential that resides within every woman during her menstrual cycle. To those who are in this period of their lives, I implore you to recognise the incredible strength you possess. Embrace the magic within you, for it is during these times that you can shape destinies, heal wounds, and manifest the extraordinary. Our grimoire is not just a book, it's a mirror that reflects the boundless power and potential of womanhood, an invitation to tap into the depths of your own enchanting abilities. So, take heed of the ancient wisdoms that empower you on your own mystical journey. Tori Hitchcock, the voice behind the satire newspaper, poses a provocative question. If we are to embrace the idea that witchcraft isn't inherently evil, then why were you inexorably drawn to your grandmother, despite your father's conviction that your own mother fell victim to a hex allegedly at the hands of that very same grandmother? Ah, the satire. Yet another publication awash with self-righteousness, cloaked in ignorance, rife with deception and peddling propaganda. To those who read these words, I implore you not to heed their nonsensical tales and their skilful manipulation. There is a different path we shall tread in response to these purveyors of animosity. We shall illuminate the truth. I can't bear to hear people regurgitate these twisted tales about my grandmother, a woman who poured love into every corner of our family, even when there was no blood tie to my mother. It's a dagger to my heart, this relentless myth that she hexed my mother. But the time has come to share this untold story, for I've carried a piece of this burden alongside my mother. My grandmother was no tyrant, despite the ruthless rumours that your publications have fuelled to bring down my family. She was a gentle, wise soul, with a profound connection to the natural world. Her eyes held the wisdom of generations, and her touch was as soothing as a cool breeze on a scorching summer day. She adored me, my mother, and our entire family with a fierce devotion that knew no bounds. The misconceptions began when I was just a young teenager, when my father was away most of the year. I believe he was in Ghana at the time. It was a turbulent night, rain cascading from the heavens like the tears of the sky itself. I crept downstairs, unable to sleep, my heart burdened by a secret I shouldn't have known. Before I cautiously entered the living room, my worst fears materialised. There before my eyes was my mother, interlocked with another man, her legs wrapped around his bare fleshy arse as he pushed into her on the sofa. A balled-up pair of knickers muffled her moans as she bit down on it. As he concluded his final pumps, she held him in tight before he snatched underwear from her mouth to mop up the creamy secretions leaking from her. I couldn't breathe. Panic gripped me, and I fled from the scene, my heart pounding in my chest like a war drum. The world outside was drenched, mirroring the tempest within me. I ran through the pouring rain until I reached my grandmother's secluded cottage deep in the woods. She opened the door, her eyes brimming with a knowing concern as if she had already sensed the torment that brought me there. I collapsed into her arms, sobs racking my body, rendering me incapable of coherent speech. She held me, rocking me gently as the rain pounded on the roof, a symphony to accompany my pain. After I had composed myself enough to speak, I divulged everything. The affair, the betrayal, the torment of witnessing my mother with another man. My grandmother's countenance remained stoic, but her eyes bore a profound sorrow. 
I'll handle it, she whispered, her voice a soothing lullaby. And handle it she did. For weeks, she silently guarded our estate, her presence concealed in the shadows, until one fateful night when she caught my mother and the man entwined once more. She confronted them, her gaze boring into their guilty souls. She presented my mother with an ultimatum, a choice that would forever haunt her. My mother chose to make amends to rebuild the trust she had shattered, but on one condition, never to utter a word of that night again, neither to my father nor to me. However, my grandmother, confronted by the defiance of the audacious man, cast a banishing hex upon him, a spell that would remain harmless as long as he adhered to the terms, never to return. Yet he dared to defy the enigmatic forces he could not comprehend. The consequences that befell him were grave, and he vanished from our lives never to return. My mother has never forgiven herself for that night and her choices, she has become a mere shadow of her former self, her laughter silenced by a haunting sadness. People presumed it was witchcraft that bound her to my father, but in truth it was the weight of her own decisions that held her captive. My grandmother, in her forgiving nature, acted out of love for our family, not malice. She yearned to shield us from the pain and betrayal that threatened to rip us apart. So I implore you, do not judge her. Do not let unfounded rumours tarnish her memory. She remains and always will be the guardian angel of our family, who did what she believed was essential to keep us united. You're listening to All the Filthy Details. <laughs> Thanks again for joining us. Remember to rate the show on your favorite podcast app and to check out our Patreon and freebies. See you soon, peeps.